All right, Luke 11, 1 to 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is the word of God for us today. Praise be to God. Thank you, Sarah. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. This, this has gotten boring. That's what I was thinking to myself. Several weeks ago, I was at this Benedictine monastery in Oregon for a retreat. And over the course of two and a half days, we were given teachings on various spiritual practices, and then we were given time to go and practice them. And on the Friday morning, we were given a teaching on silence and solitude, and then we were issued a six-hour window for the rest of the day to go and do it. Nothing but being silent, withdrawn from the others, and enjoying the absence of doing everything anything but meditating on Jesus. It was about embracing the quiet and trying to find the calm, following thoughts as they wandered in prayer and just curiosity. And it was absolute bliss for the first hour. And then I was sitting on those steps and I was bored. Now it wasn't a bad kind of boredom because actually part of being in a practice of solitude is that it will get boring. It's part of the work of solitude is to draw up and draw out. It's an essential part of it. But I felt after that first hour, I needed to get out of my room and I needed to go do something different. So I was sitting at the start of hour two on the steps of the guest house, looking at the grounds of the monastery. And I saw on the corner the monastery library. So I wandered over. Isn't this a beautiful building? designed by a Finnish architect, um, Graham, I wanted to find the name quickly so I could ask if you knew, but um, yeah, just a stunning building, award-winning, beautiful library. And I walked through those shelves on the left there. I walked, zigzagged my way through, silence, zigzagging through. And as I walked through and perused those shelves, I found myself at the very end there in a section called prayer. And I was standing in front of a plethora of books on that topic, just shelves and shelves and shelves. And I was reading all these unknown names that were unfamiliar to me, these French surnames and these German surnames on the spines of all the books. And then I spotted a familiar name. The name was Foster. And it was his classic book called Prayer. Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. So I found a good spot to read in the library. I pulled up this beautiful mid-century Danish design chair. I settled into it and I opened the book and I started reading the introduction. Foster writes, God has graciously allowed me to catch a glimpse into his heart and I want to share with you what I have seen. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. 
He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. And he is inviting you and me to come home to come home to where we belong, to come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. Now for too long, we have been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation. And he welcomes us home. Home to serenity and peace and joy. Home to friendship and fellowship and openness. Home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. Now we do not need to be shy. He invites us into the living room of his heart where we can put on old slippers and share freely. He invites us into the kitchen of his friendship where chatter and batter mix in good fun. He invites us into the dining room of his strength where we can feast to our heart's delight. He invites us into the study of his wisdom where we can learn and grow and stretch and ask all the questions we want. He invites us into the workshop of his creativity where we can be co-laborers with him, working together to determine the outcomes of events. He invites us into the bedroom of his rest where new peace is found and where we can be naked and vulnerable and free. It is also the place of deepest intimacy where we know and are known to the fullest. The key to this home, this heart of God, is prayer. I spent the next four and a half hours of my solitude window on that retreat sitting in a mid-century Danish chair in that beautiful Finnish design um, award-winning library with those 11 words rattling around in my soul. The key to this home, this heart of God, is prayer. I want to know prayer like that, I wrote in my journal. And I thought I was just thinking about it. But I've realized as I've come home that I was vowing it. I want to know prayer like that. I will do anything to know prayer like that. I want to pray like that. Have you ever lost your keys? You know that moment of panic as you realize that the one thing you have to get your car working is gone? Or the one thing to get into your house is not where it should be? Or the, to unlock your locker at work has disappeared. Do you know that feeling as you're about to head out to an appointment and your keys are not where they are meant to be in the usual spot? And all of your plans for the rest of the day are about to go completely wrong because it's like a domino at the start, isn't it? It tips over, it knocks them all over, out of sync, and now the rest of the day is ruined because you cannot find your keys to get out to open your car and get going. Now we have a set of keys for this place, for Epson Girls Grammar, And um, between a couple of us, three of us, we take responsibility to bring the keys and to open up on a Sunday morning. First to arrive, open it up, start getting ready for the morning. Last to leave, lock it up, and we're done. Now one week, a few weeks ago, we got here to open up like we do every other week. And one of the guys, I'm not going to say who, Rob, um, (laughs) 
had left the church keys in a car the week before. And that would have been fine. But that car had then been taken to Cambridge. (laughs) So our keys to the doors to get in here were in a car in Cambridge. They aren't much good there, are they? And so a few of us stood out there awkwardly as Rob bravely went and talked to the scary school caretaker and asked him for a master key that we could get in with. You know, keys, keys are powerful, aren't they? When we have them, I don't think we actually realise about the power they hold. But when we lose them, when we lose our keys, we realise that they quite literally unlock things that we need unlocked. And here, Foster is saying, the key to that whole picture that I read to you earlier, the, the thing that gets us in to that space of knowing God like that is prayer. And so I wonder, I wonder today, do you know where your keys are? Do you know where the key of prayer is in your life? You know, for the next month, we're going to be exploring this key and we're going to be looking at what it unlocks and we're going to be having a good look around. We're going to be looking at the facet of prayer, a prayer-filled life. And so for the next month, we're going to make sure we know where our keys are. For the next month, we're going to make sure we know how important they really are. And for the next month, we're going to make sure we know a little bit better how to use them by the time we're done. So, do you know where your keys are? And if you don't, I invite you, let's go find them together. Let's go figure out how to use this and unlock some doors together. Now, Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, he defines prayer as this. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Now, I quite like Miller's definition. That's pretty good. But, I also don't like how easy he's made it sound. And if I was his editor, I would have pushed back a little bit on that use of the word simply. Because let's be honest, is it actually that simple? You know, and in this room right now, there are going to be so many experiences of prayer, so many experiences of it working and so many experiences of it not. And that's due to a bunch of reasons at the moment. You know, we live in one of the most difficult times in all of church history to pray. You know, our world is noisy, incredibly noisy. We're living in what scientists call noise pollution. That's how noisy it is. And it's a major threat to our mental health and to our spiritual lives. Then then there's the digital distraction that we all live with every day. We literally have multi-billion dollar multinational corporations run by some of the most intelligent people in the world who are working 24-7 to distract and addict and in order to monetize our attention, manipulate our behavior. Because it's now what's called the attention economy that people are trying to buy. And that's where money comes in because on that note also, we are incredibly wealthy, aren't we? We are wealthy people and money can often do what prayer used to do. Money can now do that. It's a lot easier and a lot faster. I mean, why why pray for daily bread when we can literally go and buy some from a place called daily bread? Sourdough there, am I right? Pioneer sourdough, come on. Mm -mm -mm, Cardamom buns, yes. Or we can use our thumb on a phone and we can just dial up a meal to arrive on our doorsteps. We don't even have to leave the house. So 
So, so why pray for daily bread when actually with money and with wealth, we can just answer that prayer ourselves? Why pray for healing when we have Nurofen and, and, and anti-flam in the, in, the, in the cupboard in our bathrooms? You know, our, our culture is not only wealthy, but it's also one of secularism. And the cultural atmosphere that we live in daily is, well, it's agnostic at best and it's atheistic at worst. For most people, God is incredibly far away if he is anywhere at all. And if he is alive, he's not close by and he's not involved. And then to top it off, on top of all of that list already, we're busy. We're busy people. And most of us can barely make it to church once a week, let alone, oh, that was not a dig. I'm so sorry, that was not a dig. But most of us can't make it to church once a week because of, of a daily, at much less structure our entire lives around prayer. That just seems unachievable. Our lives are so rammed full with commitments, with kids, with social calendars, with work deadlines. And then somehow we have to fit another exercise into the schedule amongst all of those things. I mean, nearly everything in our lives is wired against us experiencing a good prayer life. Nearly everything is wired against us experiencing a good prayer life. So this is our first moment today of losing the keys. Maybe actually though, a better way to put it is sometimes your kids steal your keys and hide them and you don't realize they're missing until you need to look for them. And I wonder if this is our moment of saying, this is, this is culture stealing the keys. And uh, we are struggling to find how to use prayer because of just what culture is doing. These distractions, this pursuit of wealth and power, the busy and full lives that we have, they are robbing us of time spent simply, as Miller says, in a medium in that which we will experience and connect to God. So, so how do we get out of this problem? How do we get out of this problem? Well, in the arts and in advertising, there is something called shock factor. So in industries of TV or movies or in advertising, there is a baseline of where things are at that will get and hold people's attention. Now, if we were to wind the clock back about 60 years, okay, to 1962, if someone put on their TV shows that night, um, they, and they saw a sex scene, or they saw a swear word, or they saw a provocative moment of storytelling, or, or a gruesome murder, what would happen there is that something jumped above the baseline. It caused a shock. It caused a ripple. It got noticed. The problem is, is that because that got the attention, then every other writer and producer or advertiser, they then have to keep on doing so. And so what happens is, over time, the baseline moves up. What used to be a jump above the line now just becomes common watching. So seriously, if a person who had only seen TV in 1962 suddenly was transported through time today, and you sat them down in front, in front of your TV and threw on Netflix for them for an hour, what do you think they would do? How do you think they would be reacting? They would never have seen so much skin, so much sexualized content. They would not have seen so much gruesome violence and, and so much provocative storylines and so much gory artistic direction. They just would not have seen that as a normal baseline of TV. Nowadays, in that scene, with that baseline, 
Imagine what you have to do to get noticed. Now imagine what the new shock factor has to be. Think of what it takes to get people talking. Wow, we need a bigger shock. We need a bigger shock. And I think that is exactly how it has been for so many people with their prayer lives. In this cultural moment, we are getting shocked into prayer rather than building healthy habits of prayer. We need a big shock to get us above the baseline of our lives and start talking to God. You know, whether it's the plane that's about to crash, although statistically most of us are not going to have that moment, let's be honest. So maybe it's things that are closer to home. Things like the letter that arrives in your letterbox one day saying your mortgage repayments have been missing for the last several months and now your house is going to go to mortgagee sale. Or maybe, maybe it's the cancer diagnosis. Or maybe it's that bad scan. Or maybe it's that wait nervously for the blood test results. Or maybe it's the night that your teenager doesn't come home when they said that they would. You know, nearly everybody will pray when the big shock comes. In moments of desperation, we, we turn outwards to the help of some divine reality or another source of help to arrive into the midst of that shock moment and what we find ourselves in. But the problem here, the problem with this, is that we are only ever asking for prayer when the pressure has come on. You know, I get asked to pray for a lot of things in this church for you guys. And usually they're shock factor moments. I don't often get asked just to pray for the baseline. Pete Gregg says this though. He says, everyone prays, even non-Christians do. The difference is though, when Christians do it, they are climbing into the lap of their heavenly father. So the big question is not, do you pray? Because we all pray, whether it's the plane going down or whether it's that moment in the hospital. The question that needs to be answered is not, do you pray? It's, how do you pray? How do you pray? And, you know, to answer this, there's a heap of things that probably just flooded into your mind as I even said that, you know. There's that prayer of panic and in pain, like I just said, right through to people who pray quietly and serenely, sort of glow in the corner of the prayer meeting. Right through to the person that seems to be able to pray routinely and habitually. I have a, I have a dad that that's his prayer life, routinely and habitually. I've seen that his whole life. He has prayer appointments every day that he keeps. Uh, maybe prayer is charismatic and spirit-led and it's shake and bake. Maybe prayer is contemplative and quietly. Maybe it's with candles and gentle. Maybe prayer is writing. Maybe it's a journal, a moleskin. Maybe it's drawings on a wall. Maybe prayer is silence and solitude and being withdrawn. Maybe prayer is loud and in your face and spiritual warfare. Maybe it's prayer that is just simply the word help in moments of parenting. Maybe it's speaking in tongues during worship. You know, there's so many ways to pray. There's so many ways to practice prayer. And all of these themselves, they're like different keys on the key ring. But I do not want to run into talking about how we practice prayer too quickly because to do so, we'll be missing an important part of what we need to talk about today. Because answering the question of how do you pray is actually not the heart of the matter. Because prayer is both a practice 
and a posture. You know, prayer is one of those interesting spiritual disciplines where it is a practice. We practice prayer, but also the goal is to become a person of prayer. It's an end goal as much as it is the steps to get there. So a practice, when we say that around here, what we're saying is we are trying to imitate our life after Jesus. We're trying to make our life more like Christ. Just like we sang today, we want to be like him. And what a practice does is it's these spaces in which we practice life moving towards likeness of Jesus. It's a means to that end. So practicing prayer is practicing to pray. But also prayer, prayer is the end of the journey. It's this state of being. A person of prayer doesn't just practice prayer as a thing, of, a thing to do. It becomes a posture of attention for all of life. And St. Augustine said this, true whole prayer is nothing but love. True whole prayer is nothing but love. The ancients of our faith, when they thought of prayer, it was not just a practice, it was life in a loving union with God. All of reality lived in love. Uh, maybe a more ancient, on, uh, sorry, a more modern ancient person to hear from today is Eugene Peterson, who said this, prayer is a refusal to live as an outsider to my God and my own soul. Prayer is a refusal to live as an outsider to my God and my own soul. That's a posture. That's not, you can't just practice that. That's posturing. Or I love this quote from Ronald Rollheiser. We actually used this quote a little while ago and some other stuff we're talking about, but I think this is brilliant. He says this, you must try to pray so that in your prayer, you open yourself in such a way that sometime, perhaps not today, but sometime, you are able to hear God say to you, I love you. Now these words addressed to you by God are the most important words you will ever hear because before you hear them, nothing is ever completely right with you. But after you hear them, something will be right in your life at a very deep level. So how do we get to that? How do we get there? Well, today to start our series, I propose that to get there, we need to say a phrase together. We need to say a statement together. A statement of intent, a statement of desire, a statement that it says, this is the kind of people we want to be. And it's five words that came out of our reading that Sarah did today. It's five words that come straight from the, teaching, uh, the teachings of, the, of um, the Gospels. They come straight from the lips of the disciples themselves as they said it to Jesus. And one of the only requests that they asked of Jesus for, them to, for him to show them how to do something. Those five words, Lord, Teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Oh Lord, teach us how to get to that. So I want to invite you to turn back to Luke 11, the scripture that we started in today. And uh, we're just going to have a better look around for a little while. And uh, we're going to look at this moment, sort of glean a little bit of wisdom from it, a little bit of um, perspective from it, and then see how we can take this on board for ourselves. So Luke 11, I'll put it up here for those of you who haven't got Bible's with you. Luke 11, verse 1. So once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus is praying. That's the first piece to draw out of here. This is his model so far. 
You know, getting away has been the access point of all that Jesus does. He, he keeps getting away to pray. It's a regular rhythm for him. He gets away with it to be with his father, like in Luke 6 verse 12. Or, or he takes his disciples away to pray with him, like in Luke 9 with the transfiguration. Like he keeps taking them away or showing them, this is how I do things, I pray. Now, did those times of prayer look like Jesus getting away and putting on a worship playlist on a Bluetooth speaker and cranking out his Moleskin journal and writing a letter to God? No, it didn't. Jesus was a Jew. He was a Hebrew man. And so Jesus and his disciples would have regularly had prayer during the day, three times a day, set prayers. They would be reciting prayers like the Shema, or they'd be praying from the Psalms. They would have been tactile moments of prayer where they used their bodies. They would have stood. They would have knelt. They would have clasped their hands together. They would have spoken out loud. They might have sung sometimes. They would have been kneeling. They would have, they would have been these Eastern men practicing prayer in Eastern ways. You have to imagine that with me this morning, okay? This is not like a nice little sort of Instagrammed prayer time put away way for us to take a photo of. This is Eastern men praying in very Eastern ways. But note today, there's a rhythm and a regularity here. The gospel writers all note this, all four of the gospels note this. Jesus kept getting away to pray. He kept getting away. It was a priority and it was a cadence to his day and to his ministry. He kept getting away. This was a deep well for Jesus. He would get away to be with his father. And then he would come back and live these extraordinary moments in front of people. His ministry was powerful. So Jesus would withdraw for intimacy with his father. And then he would come back to the crowds and he would serve them with supernatural power and in loving care. And this was the way that Jesus worked. He would withdraw for prayer. He would come back to this extraordinary display of the kingdom of God. And that was his rhythm. That was like his two feet. He walked with left foot, right foot. Get away, come back and do the amazing things. Get away, come back and do the amazing things. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now pay attention here just for another moment. They know how to pray. They've been doing a lot of praying. They know how to do this. They've grown up praying. So the question here is not about a prayer at the level of how do we do it? That's not the question. What they're asking is the disciples have seen this cadence that Jesus is operating with, his disappearing and his coming back, his removal and then his arrival to do something amazing. They're watching that. They're paying attention to that. And they're saying, as he goes away and does that, he comes back and does that, we want to do that too. What they are asking is, Lord, we want to pray like you. They know how to pray, but they want to pray like their rabbi. They want to pray like Jesus. And so let's go back to the key metaphor from earlier. In my mind, what I kind of see it is, is I see it like them coming along with their keys and they're walking up to Jesus and they're kind of going, we've tried to use these keys, but they don't seem to be working. Could you give us yours? We want to use prayer like you use prayer. So I think there's two things we need to pay a special attention of to here. Firstly, who is the one that they're asking for the lesson? Well, the request starts with that really important word, Lord. Now I'm all for input. 
I love input. I love learning. I love investigating. I love being curious. I read a lot. I listen to a lot. I go down big YouTube rabbit holes a lot. And when it comes to prayer, there are some terrific resources at hand to learn from, without a doubt. You know, whether it's the Lectio 365 app or whether it's a Richard Foster book, whether it's a prayer series from Bridgetown Church or whether it's a, on a podcast or whether it's the video series of the prayer course from Pete Gregg. There's, there's so many good things we can go and learn to pray from. But the desire here, the intention here, the direction here is really important to pay attention to. Who are we learning to pray from? Who are we learning to pray from? And I think the thing to just pay attention to here in this moment with the disciples is this. Let's go straight to the source. Let's go learn from Jesus. Let's put him at the top of the stream. You know, like the disciples, we too can come to Jesus and we can ask him for help to pray. There's nothing wrong with the commentaries and the teachings and all that stuff. I love all that stuff. There's so much wisdom in that. But we need to make the first port of call when it comes to learning to pray to go to Jesus. Or another way to put that is to make Jesus Lord above all things, over all things. And so we need to come to Him. We need to come to Him to be taught. And secondly, the other movement of their request is teach us to pray. Let's just think about this for a moment. You know, this is a request of learning, isn't it? It's a posture. We want to know more. It's this, it's this moment of being a real disciple. You know, because to be a disciple is just to say, you're an apprentice. You're an on-the-job learner. Whenever you think about disciples, that's what you should be thinking of, these on-the-job learners. And they are coming to their rabbi. They are coming to the one that they are apprenticing their life to. And they are saying, we want to do it like you. And so to do it like you, we want to learn from you, Lord. And now we are now entering into a relationship here where we are learning we are submitting to the, 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 um, the work of being taught. So just think about your life of learning for a moment. Think about transformation in your life. You know, think about how sometimes something will start as an idea, like a spark, and then it moves to another idea, and it evolves, and it grows, and it deepens, and it develops. That is what the disciples are coming to Jesus and looking for. They're coming looking for that journey the journey of learning, the journey of transformation. And so when they say, Lord, teach us to pray, what we could rewrite that for, uh, rewrite that as is, Lord, transform our prayer life. Or Lord, show me how to do it. Or, or Lord, give me your keys. So here, here we too can be like the disciples. Here we must be like the disciples. We must come in humility to Jesus, with all of the ideas we have, the ones that have been first formed in us and practiced by us, all of the things that have worked and all the things that haven't, and take a posture, the posture of a learner, a learner who comes to the Lord and says, Lord, transform this. Teach me how to do this. Show me how to do this. And it's with that openness, that heart to be transformed, that the disciples then get their answer from Jesus. And so Jesus goes on to give them an answer. He says, well, then this is how you can, you can pray. This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to 
temptation. You know, I just want to lightly teach into this moment. You know, Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. But there's two things playing out here. Yeah, you could memorize this. You could, you could say it off by memory, or you could say it as a liturgy together. You could sing it like we did today as lyric. It can be recited. It could be printed on a bookmark and put into your Bible. It can be a practice all of its own to just say these words. But that's not actually the complete point of this moment. That's not the fullness of this moment. What Jesus is doing here is not just giving us some words to say. He is giving a, a theological framework to think about how to pray. It is like a skeletal structure that we can then hang some pieces on. So note, there's a way that this prayer works here. The first part, the first part is addressed to God. It's this location finding moment. It actually orients the prayer, puts everything in perspective. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. It starts with this outward posture directed to God. You know, so, so who are we praying to? What's the greatest story? What's actually the real reality? Well, Jesus says that as we pray, we can start by reorienting ourselves with a big glimpse of three key things. The Father, His kingdom, and it breaking into this reality. And then the second half of the prayer changes gears. It goes into a different posture. It then talks about addressing us and our needs. This is where we can ask for some stuff. And this is where we can deal with some stuff around us. So notice it says, give us what we need. Forgive us of our sins and protect us. And so here, out of all of this, we can actually get us, we can see a bit of a framework of how to pray well. We can see intercession in there. We can see petition in there. We can see worship in there. We can see all kinds of aspects of how prayers then start to play out, all found there in this little teaching from Jesus on how to pray. And so for all of this, we can, we can start to look for a transformed prayer life. And, and I could say so much more on this, uh, but that would take a whole other sermon. And so, well, lucky, lucky, next week, that's what I'll do. We will continue with what this, uh, this framework can show us about prayer. We're going to unpack those things, the Father, His kingdom, the future that's breaking into the present, asking for what we need, forgiving us our sins and protecting us. We're going to look at those things next Sunday. I'd love you to come back as we cover those in more depth. But for this Sunday, as we start this journey, I just want to bring you back to where this all started. And I want to ask you to ask a question again. Where are your keys? You know, we have looked today at prayer in light of that Richard Foster quote, that bold statement, that prayer is this great key that unlocks the door of life with God. I mean, that's a big call. But for all of us at different levels and in different stories, we will all have various experiences of how that's been playing out. And I just know that in this room, there's some great ones, there's some good ones, there's probably a heap of mundane ones, <laughs> ordinary ones, and there's some whopper fails. I know I've got those as well, those stories. But before we start talking about how to pray well, and before we talk about that framework from Jesus over this, this next week, we have to start by addressing a problem. The problem is, for so many of us, we've lost our keys. Or the key just doesn't seem to work. And if that's you today, well, today my humble offering is this. 
we all have an opportunity to take on being apprentices of Jesus in this moment and coming to the one who had a spectacular prayer life, a prayer life that worked well, that was like a deep well to drink from. And we can look at that and learn from that and imitate that, that we too might then go and have amazing public ministries, lives lived well, and be like the disciples who saw that this was how their rabbi acted. And with just the right mix of inquiry and hopefulness and curiosity, came to him and asked, Lord, would you teach us to pray like that? You know, or to put it another way, Lord, these keys aren't working. Can you give us yours? Lord, can we have your keys? And I wonder if we have to ask that together too. Can we ask that? This is the core request of those who want to imitate Jesus in their prayer life. And as we explore this facet for the next several weeks, before we talk about the details and how to do it, we must check the intention of our hearts today. Do we want to learn? Do we want to go on the journey? Well, I invite you to do so. I invite you to trade your keys in for His one. That He may teach us to pray. That He may teach us to pray. And so the benediction today is simply that. May He teach us to pray. May He teach us to pray. I'm not interested in talking about prayer for the next several weeks if we aren't coming to Him for Him to learn or teach us. I'm really aware that sometimes with topics we talk about in church, it's easier to talk about them than it is to do them. And so as we finish, I want to invite you to do something. You have to do it right now. But earlier, um, Alicia talked about the uh, fasting that we're doing on Wednesdays at the moment. Well, that's part of a online meeting point in our church on our church center app. It's a group called CV Prayer Group. CV Prayer Group. And in the CV Prayer Group for months now, prayer lists have been listed and we've been praying for things. And we literally have miraculous stories that are in that prayer group of things we've been praying for. Stories that we have joined with in prayer and God has moved and turned things around. Um, we have stories in there of things we are still praying for. Every Wednesday, I trawl through it. I find the things to still pray for and we keep praying for them persistently. Uh, in there, we're posting a Wednesday fast prayer point where you can join us on Wednesday and starting to fast if you wanna do that. But I wanna invite you that for the next month, if you want to be taught to pray, we need to deal with the intention of our heart. Lord, would you teach us? And then we need to be willing to step into some spaces where we can do some practicing. And my first call to you would be this, join the CV prayer group, even if you just want to spectate from afar and learn from some others who are doing it. Everyone in there is just learning how to do it too, but we're doing it together. Come and join us. So, etu and stand, may he teach us to pray. And uh, if you want to join the CV prayer group, you just go to our website, there's the join in tab, you drop down and you'll find CV prayer group or on your church centre app, you can join it um, from uh, one of the groups that you can request to join. would love you to do that. Um, Donald, are you, yeah, you're still here? Um, you know, I just wonder if with the sentiment of this moment, with the sentiment of what we find ourselves in, I just wonder if we might revisit that song, Be Like Him. Yeah. Um, 
It's a new song. I know that. I know some of you are like, I, we've, we just learned the song like 40 minutes ago. I know that. But I think it's a pretty easy song to sing. And the sentiment of that song is very easy to catch, which is just like, Lord, I want to be like you. So show me. Show me how to do this like you. And that's the sentiment of our hearts here. Just imitation of Jesus, pursuing Him, that He may make us like Him, Christ-likeness. And so as we start to talk about prayer, and as we start to focus on prayer, we need to realise that the first step of prayer is that openness and acknowledgement to Him, to be a person in relationship with Him. And so Lord, as we start to sing one more time, as we land our gathering with sung worship and sung prayer, words on our lips placed here by lyrics, Lord, we open our hearts that we may be people who could say, Jesus, it's you we want to learn from. Jesus, teach us further on the journey, whether we've been praying a long time, years, or whether we've just started praying recently in the last few weeks. Lord, take us on the journey of prayer, learning from you. Our intention is for you. Our desire is for you. Not just more knowledge, but transform lives. And so Lord, deal to our intention of our hearts today deal to the desires of our hearts today, that we would be people who seek first the kingdom of God and all these things are added to us. Lord, people that have our attention firmly fixed on Jesus and then all things are added to us. Lord, we set our attention and our gaze first and foremost on You. You are our centre, our focus, our prize, our most precious, precious thing. You are the pearl of great price to us today. And we come to You. And so as we sing this song, we, we sing and acknowledge that Jesus, we are singing about uh, life following you, learning from you, doing as you do. And we sing and acknowledge that we do it by your Spirit. We do it by your grace and merciful gift of your Spirit given to us. So Spirit of God, come even now as we begin to prepare our hearts to sing. Lord, come and power minister to our hearts, refresh hearts that are so tired. And this conversation of prayer just makes us roll our eyes and go, can't do it, been here, tried, not working. Lord, would you refresh those hearts, refresh hearts where, where we are, we've already counted ourselves out of this conversation. Refresh hearts, Lord, where we are uh, finding ourselves on the edge of this moment. Refresh, bring hope today, Lord, bring hope for love and hope for relationship back into our lives desire for you, Jesus, in your presence. Refreshing us and awaken us. You know, Jesus, just even as Donald gets ready to start singing, could you just start finding words that might even be on your own lips right now? Words of prayer. You might just want to simply say to Jesus right now, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, I want my heart to be open to you teaching me to pray. Lord, I want to learn from you, none other than you. Lord, I've had my eyes on so many other places of knowledge, but I bring them back to you. You are the one who I want to learn from and be modeled after. It's you I want to imitate. It's you I want to get in the stream of. So I come to you, Jesus. Why don't you just start to lift up a prayer of that sort of intention? Jesus, we come to you simply today in humility and in weakness, but in openness.
Just wanna.